Welcome to Scream Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist, who was telling me that I was bipolar. I was released with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for about a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using music for therapy and as a way to escape. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. first time I saw Spanish Love Songs, who are about to release their third album, Brave Faces Everyone, it was at Prefest in Tampa three or four years ago. I walked in on their set and saw my friends at the front with big smiles on their faces. Unlike me, they knew what was coming. I didn't know who Spanish Love Songs' songwriter Dylan Slocum was at the time. I mean, he was singing and playing guitar in front of me, but I didn't know what his songs meant and how they had become such an inspiring part of my life over the next few years. I later realized that many of Dylan's songs are about depression. I'm often very depressed myself, and his songs became a small way of coping with my sadness by finding glimmers of hope in his music. Dylan and I discuss music and depression, and it turns out he's an inspiring conversationalist as well. Do you remember when you first got into punk rock and realized that it was a place for you? I mean, it just kind of happened. I had an older brother, so, I mean, I, Green Day's Dookie came out when I was, I would have been six, and yeah. he was 11 or, you know, going on 12 or so, so that was like prime time for him. Uh, and I had young parents too, so it was around from the time I was about six years old. Wow! Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I was kind of doomed. Uh, <laughs> and then you know, as as like a young middle schooler with a high school brother, um, it was just like a never ending, you know, me stealing his CDs, so like AFI, uh, yeah, like Black Sales, and then stuff like Homegrown and the Ataris and stuff like that. So it was, it's, yeah, it's been nonstop. Whenever I hear the word Ataris, I always think of that big blowout they had on stage when I guess the, they got oh, fired yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, like Peru's guitar at the drummer or something. Yeah, just an example of how uh, playing music can sometimes uh, eat into your, into your mind a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's, I've never felt tempted to throw my instrument at somebody. That's a, uh, that's some, you got to be pretty deep in it, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Uh, can you explain your relationship to depression? I know a lot of the songs talk about depression. I mean, I, you mentioned like not being able to get off the couch at least 12 times of your discography. <laughs> but uh, can you tell me a little bit about that and, and uh, how it became part of your life or when you first sort of noticed it coming on? Uh, yeah, I mean, the references and stuff, I mean, it's just something that exists, right? It's just something I've had, something I've recognize something I deal with something that comes and goes and as I've gotten older something I've been able to recognize more acutely you know where I can like sit down and be like oh (laughs) here it comes yeah I don't know when it first happened I can't pinpoint it you know more so uh, yeah it's like an old friend right as long as you look back you kind of go oh yeah I guess maybe that's what was happening an old friend or an old enemy yeah, yeah. However you want to, however you want to look at it. But 
you know, as I've, I think there was probably a time in my, in my early to mid twenties where I looked at it far more as a detriment than maybe I do now, uh, as opposed to just trying to chill and just understand, you know, that it's just a part of you, uh, as opposed to trying to fight necessarily, uh, or feel for me, the idea of fighting, it feels like admission of being broken or something. Yeah, totally. Well, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, that it's part of you and it's not going to take you down. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, 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 it's helped that in being able to talk about it, I've gotten to start (laughs) living out some cool dreams. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to be angry at this thing that's tied into largely what I do. Totally. Yeah. I guess one of the the cool things about the band is that even though the lyrics are quite sad and, and quite depressing, that's sort of your MO, isn't it? That you're, you're kind of, you're writing about sad topics, but you're trying to make it hopeful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it's been a long process because I feel like when we were first starting, it was just a bunch of songs I had lying around about, you know, certain relationships ending and stuff like that. So that, I mean, those relationship songs don't need to be hopeful, right? Like breakup songs are breakup songs. Yeah. And then on Schmaltz, you know, it was that, it was also fine for it to not be hopeful because that whole album was just, and you know what, that's just, this is how it is. And again, that doesn't necessarily need to be hopeful, although I find hopeful moments on it. The newer one is, I think a lot more of a concerted effort to be hopeful, which is great for that positivity. I think that's kind of been our MO in terms of like helping people realize they're not necessarily alone in all these feelings. Um, Cause that's, a, I think a very powerful realization. The way that I describe uh, my depressive episodes when I have them, uh, I I'm diagnosed bipolar. So I kind of go through the okay. different, you know, from, down 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 to up really up yeah yeah Um, but when i'm quite down i describe it as kind of like having a heavy blanket over top of you and it's like the blanket sort of holding you down and actually like one of those weighted blankets right but you're underneath of it and and it's like how do you get out um does that ring true for you uh absolutely i am probably dealing with that a little bit right at the moment yeah but not in any negative way just uh i always just feel lazy yeah like i don't feel like doing anything and we like right now we leave in like a day and uh i've been surprisingly chill about it but i think it's mostly because i've been late too lazy to do anything and i like right before we got on this i was like purging my inbox to get it down to zero so that i leave for a tour with nothing outstanding and i got downstairs and then my buzzer went off and i was like oh yeah we're, we're talking in like 10 minutes so it's, it was a funny morning it was like motivation here i come and yeah, uh, for sure. and now it's been fun to kind of look back and be like oh no i've just been lazy the last few days and that's fine you can you can do that it doesn't help that it's a uh, dead of winter it's nice to sit inside not do anything for sure one of the things that i uh always find that like having that heavy blanket over top of me is it's strange because and you mentioned about jumping into action but if i get a text from a friend to go for a walk or something all of a sudden the blanket comes flying off and i'm out the door it's just sort of that weird juxtaposition between being really down and being up that rings very true i find uh, being impulsive often helps uh (laughs) get rid of the blanket but i mean that just leads to a lot of online shopping 
and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, uh, I don't, I feel bored. I feel this. I feel like not moving. Let me sit here and watch videos on, uh, you know, music gear I don't need or can't afford and somehow still buy and then deal with the consequences later. Yeah, totally. I've read a lot of stuff, things that you said before the first two records, you know, feeling like you were just this sort of loser, underachiever guy that was never going to really get anywhere. And now you're getting to the point where, you know, you are getting somewhere. I mean, I saw you last year at Fest and you played one of the, the biggest venues there. And um, How does that feel to know sort of in the past that you weren't sure about really getting anywhere and now you are? I don't think it's changed at all. Uh, I think we largely still feel like we're not getting anywhere. I know it seems contrary, but uh, I think that's the scope of being the type of person who plays and the type of band that we play in. Uh, I was talking to a friend the other day who is selling out 3,000 person rooms and they were like, I am still absolutely terrified that nobody's going to come or like we're not going <laughs> to sell tickets. Yeah. And that, and, and he was like, and I've talked to other people about this. They're like, no matter what stage of your career that you're at, it, it never feels like it's going well. So, I mean, yeah, I, it's fine. I mean, we're definitely psyched and excited and getting to do a lot of cool things. So I, I, I will never complain about that. It's a gift. Yeah. But uh, I think we're very aware of, you know, how fleeting that could be. So maybe we're having our moment and that's great, but that moment could disappear. Maybe we're not actually having our moment. Maybe we're just having a very brief foray into something that will go horribly wrong sooner than later. I know that when I'm quite depressed, everything seems like it's a, a joke. You know, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a loser, all those kinds of things. I think it's more just like being a 31-year-old musician. Just doing something kind of outrageous is I, I don't know it's just a spot that I've always felt like I can stand back and see how absurd it is and so just treating it with zero expectations because like we don't deserve any of this like people owe us nothing so and we did like if we deserve nothing and we expect nothing then everything that happens is cool and if everything that happens is cool then the grind of it disappears yeah. You know, so like I love every aspect of what we do. I love unloading our gear and loading into a venue and I love <laughs> sound checking and I love sitting around and doing nothing or, you know, I love eating shitty hummus in a green room. Like that's great. You know, at a time where I could be complaining about having to unload an amp, my friends have been in an office for six hours. It, it just, it fits me better and, and staying optimistic about it and keeping my expectations in check. If you don't expect anything, then that kind of keeps that fear uh, at bay. Uh, the podcast is called Scream Therapy. Do you think that music is therapy for you? I think it's an outlet. I think it's a way for me to tell these stories and discover some things that I might not have discovered otherwise. I don't see it as actual therapeutic like growth. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah adjusting some of the behaviors that i have but it's it's definitely a good outlet it's like keeping a journal right it's like yeah. creating art it's you know it's like any of those i think i would align it more with that type of therapeutic endeavor but i wouldn't sure. call it therapy in, in and of itself necessarily yeah. um have you gotten traditional therapy off and on mostly back when i was in college and could uh had easier access to it one of the downfalls of the american healthcare system is both inconsistent insurance coverage and just outrageous prices. Yeah. So it's been a constant seeking out of putting the effort 
to find somebody who, for example, would work on a sliding scale, but then deciding like, do I want to do that? Or do I want to have money to go do something I enjoy? Yeah. <laughs> or do I want to have money for groceries? You're going to work on yourself with the money. You're going to work on having a life. Yeah. And living. And yeah. And that's maybe my own personal kind of downfall. I feel like it, you know, living in LA, it was very hip to go to therapy, not for, not an, as a judgment call, but you know what I mean? If you didn't go, at least in a group of friends that I had, it was like, whoa, what do you mean you don't have money to go? Like, what is that about? You know what I mean? And it became a very yeah. kind of classist coded thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a long time, I was just like, well, well, fuck you. What works for you doesn't necessarily have to work for me. But I, it would be great if everybody had just total access and could go when they felt they needed to go. And I think everybody could benefit from it. I know I certainly have. It is very important. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where you have to work on yourself. Otherwise, it erodes after a while. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's hard to recognize when that erosion's occurring and when you need to kind of check back in with people. And it's a hard thing to force yourself to do, especially if that heavy blanket's on you and you, you're like, well, why, why bother? Or a big part of it is finding the kind of theoretical framework that works for you and what you're trying to do, whether, you know, it's more like a, a traditional kind of psychotherapy or something like behavioral focused or, you know, something like that. And it's tiring kind of cycling through different paradigms, you know what I mean? And going yeah. to different people and trying to hear how they're going to approach what you feel is wrong with you. I think it's for everybody in certain frameworks. And I think trying to force yourself into something is, is not always a, a healthy thing either. Yeah, totally. I've, I've pretty much tried it all at this point, but I mean, some things better than others, right? So I'm really enjoying right now a dialectical behavioral therapy okay. course that I'm taking. And it's kind of like CBT, but with some extra mindfulness stuff thrown in. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah, you got to find your fit, right? And, and I mean, like I said, I've gone through so many different counselors, but it's been more a question of not knowing what was going on. So I'll go in for a counseling session saying that I have, you know, situational depression. And then eventually I realize it's much more than that. Yeah. It's good to be able to find what works for you and be able to apply that. And I think that applications largely becomes the more important thing. Yeah. It's definitely uh, a lot. Sorry. I just had a flat. My, my ex-wife is a marriage therapist. Uh, and okay. you said CB, you said CBT and I just flashed back to like so many things. It was so funny. Oh, wow. like, oh yes. I've, I've sat around and had these discussions before. She is a, I believe, a CBT focused therapist. Are you, are you guys still close? Not at all. I haven't talked no. to her in a decade. Okay. And when did you get divorced? Like what, what year? A decade ago. I was young and hurt. It was actually like probably the least interesting thing. We came apart very easily by design. I think we were both people who kept our stuff separated just enough. And like, yeah, it was a, I, did it way too young and then b it ended very young so i was just like a you know i was a pissy 22 year old like that was that made sense like of course (laughs) yeah do you uh think that because she was you mentioned she does cbt courses was she able to help you at all with your mental health well this was early so this is when we were we finished undergrad and she was applying to grad school so it was more, and like we had taken a lot of classes together, mostly because I was an English major 
and the psych minor was there and accessible and I needed to fill extra credits. And, you know what I mean? Like it was, they were fun yeah. classes to take uh, and fun things to like, just get college philosophical about, but it was still early days. And I think she was still trying out stuff on me, but I was, I wasn't listening. <laughs> we all have a low point in our lives when we realize that things have gone really off the rails. Do you remember what yours was? Oh boy. You know, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I have at certain points been like, oh, this is low. I remember there was times right after all that happened, you know, where I, I wouldn't leave my apartment or, you know what I mean? I stayed in the same yeah. sweats for a week or stuff like that. But I, I, I never really saw it as a low point. I was just like, this is something I'm, something I'm in. Yeah. I'm of the firm belief that it can always get worse. Um, <laughs> there's always a bottom to keep dropping out. Or that's just in my experience. You know what I mean? Anytime, anytime I've ever thought like, oh, this is, this is the worst. It's like, no. And it could always be much worse, which to me is a kind of a positive thing. Yeah. You know, if, if it can always get worse, then it can always get better. That means too. that, yeah, it can always get better. If you're feeling like you're a three on that particular day, uh, you could always be feeling like a one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and if you're feeling like a one, you could always be feeling like nothing. So, uh, that's just my own personal experience. I've never actually sat down and been like, this is rock bottom. Um, which I, you know, I'm lucky, I guess, that I've never felt that way. Or I just lack the self-awareness, <laughs> lack the self-awareness to yeah. have recognized that. It's interesting that you mentioned the numbers because I run a support group here in my town. And we actually do that at the beginning of the support group. We go around the circle and rate ourselves how we're feeling by number. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, we actually do it again and see where we're at. So it, the numbers oh, wow. are a good way to do it. Funny enough, in like one of the last interviews that Scott Hutchison from Frightened Rabbit gave he talked about feeling like a like a six out of ten on any day then i kind of wrote that down and it became kind of a just like a, a fun way to describe some feelings and i you know and then i started writing i started writing songs for the new album and i i almost wrote it down as like a, a little ode to that but literally the first line of the new album is on any given day i'm a six of ten so it's funny that you run a group similar using that kind of method because i do find that to be a very helpful barometer uh, you know, sure. some days you're a six, some days you're an eight, some days you're a four. Yeah. Um, you know, and he said something very profound to me, which is like, he felt pretty lucky to be a six most of the time. Yeah. Uh, and I also kind of feel that kind of general flatness, you know, in a, for better or worse, some days it's a gift and some days it's like, man, <laughs> some days you're like, man, I wish I could love anything the way that that person loves that thing that I think is stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about Scott and Freight and Rabbit? I mean, I don't really follow the music very much and i've heard his name batted around quite a bit uh, lauren from yeah, warriors so, was talking about him as well so yeah i think scott was important to a lot of people especially uh, amongst musicians he felt very much like a musician's musician and he wrote about things much in the way that i feel i do and much that i know lauren does in very manner of fact this is kind of laid out how it's feeling and then uh he obviously suffered from his own afflictions and uh what was it 2018 he took his own life yeah so it was one of those people who you just you listen to and you're like there always also seemed to be some positive at the end of it right and so when the worst thing that could happen happens it's shocking and you kind of revisit some things and try to understand it but it's something that's not necessarily understandable yeah um 
Was it documented so, that he that he was living with depression? I believe so. I mean, he was very blunt about it. You know, he went missing first, and his brother was had mentioned they had a phone call, and he was very unwell, and he was worried about him. And obviously, he was missing, and then he was, then they found his body. So oh. it was a bit of a, I guess, shocking is not the right word because if anybody's anybody who's that open about it, and has talked about having suicidal ideations and stuff like that it's not shocking but it's still uh it kind of guts you a little bit i never got the chance to meet him we've had a uh, i had a few mutual friends but never actually you know he was to me like a generation ahead of me in terms of like music circles and, and clicks but i think he was just an incredibly important artist to a lot of us so i think it was a weird one um mostly because of the connection you feel to somebody's music which is i'm sure the same connection or I know it's the same connection because I've heard people describe it to me that people feel with me and you feel like you have an insight into somebody, even though a lot of times it's, it's a, it's a story being told, but you know what I mean? Any, anybody who's writing something is present in the story. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing. It, more so for me, it connected to my own personal life and losing friends close to me in a kind of similar manner. So it all just kind of mashes together. Do you um, sometimes deal with suicidal ideation? Uh, no, no, not usually. I mean, not usually sounds like I do. It's not so much of like thoughts. It's more just like, uh, it's been a few times where you're just like, Oh, that's a thing. You know what I mean? That's yeah. a, not so much of the, the ideation, but it's like, Oh, that's a thing. I could be dead. Like that's the alternative. And usually I, I find that as a marker of, well, I'm glad I'm, I like, I like being alive even in the darkest moments. Um, I tend to try to keep my own, personal idea of like a level head about it yeah i love your attitude that's that's so great it's hard for folks that are living with depression and other mental health issues to really have that positive attitude and you know last time i went to my appointment with my psychiatrist she's like actually i i feel feel some acceptance from you this time and it's all about you looking on the bright side and trying to find the positive out of the negative i think yeah and i've always I don't know what it is. I think for a long time, I was just not knowing what it was. Yeah. Uh, just kind of a willful ignorance of like, this is just how I am. And if this is just how I am. Then I have no choice. Um, and then as I've gotten older, these terms have become kind of more accepted. Then it becomes something I can talk about, but I, you know, something I can talk about and, and let out, especially in, in song and story, but then kind of exercise it that way. And then be back to like, this is just how I am. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. I think that surprises a lot of people. I, <laughs> I've been made to feel guilty about it on occasion. Of you sound so depressed in your songs, but you're so normal in person, and you seem so even keeled. And I'm like, well, what is this like a pissing match about who can be the most depressed? Because that's stupid. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I'm a normal person who can spin some dark things together to a exercise my own emotions and then b elicit a response because it's art yeah did you feel like you might be doing this like did you ever think oh, i'll be singing in a band that you know talks about these issues no no these have always just been the songs i wrote i became very aware of it when we were working on the new album because the last album was so much about me and my issues and i didn't want people to feel like i was putting up some front so we kind of broadened the story out and broadened the scope of what we're doing and you know the the new album is very much not about me it's about other people and trying to find a commonality among it so you got tired and of somehow, talking about yourself a little bit. 
Yeah, exactly. Because again, <laughs> a great quote from Scott. It was something I found just offhand when we were working on the album. I don't even know why it was in that piece, but he was. It was something about like nobody wants to hear you complain about sitting in the back of a van. <laughs> you're you're living out such an exciting thing. Even if you don't feel well, it's not interesting to talk. And again, this is a generalization, but it's a generalization that rings true to me. Like I personally don't find it interesting to complain about being bummed out in the back of a van because not because it's not real and not because touring isn't difficult, but because my shitty feeling in the back of a van on like a Thursday, well, that's somebody's night out that week. That's somebody's best night out. Like that's somebody trying to make the most. They worked all day, spent money and they're out and they're there to see us. It feels disingenuous to sit there and be like, well, I'm sad. I can be sad, but I can also put on a performance and realize like, I don't take for granted what we get to do. Yeah. I was looking at a website about you and they actually said, this is pretty lame and pretty harsh, but they actually described your music as grouch rock. Yeah, I know. That's funny because we call ourselves that when we first started out. Somebody okay. asked us like what we sounded like, and then I forget which one of it what which one of us it was, but it was like we're just like grouch rock because I like <laughs> people like to call me grouchy, and we like called ourselves that as just like a fun joke when we were first starting out, and then we stopped mostly because I didn't like being called self-proclaimed grouch rock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's not good. Absolute, like a, it was a joke, but like. <laughs> You know, it, it is true. I largely, it's how do you describe an indie punk emo leaning band? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's all just, a, it's all labels. Like, a guy like complaining. we do. What we do. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a guy complaining. About Complaint that. rock. Complaint rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for being on the podcast today, Dylan. I really appreciate it. And I, I just love your attitude around, you know, how you, you deal with your depression and, and kind of using it for more of the posy side of things. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's something I've really tried to figure out in my mid to late 20s because it used to be the other way uh, and I would be very insufferable. Have you ever had a situation where you're with somebody and like something goes wrong and one person freaks out and then you get super focused? I feel that on like a broader scale, like the crazier the world gets and like the more it feels like, (laughs) like the world's ending the more clarity can kind of come through. And again, that's like a very big focus on the new album of like recognizing that we're all on the same sinking ship. Everybody's feeling for all of the neurodiversity in the world. A lot of these feelings are, are they trend towards the universal and like a lot of people are just struggling to get by and working to survive. That's it. That is the human drive in late capitalism. It's something that I've, struggle to come to terms with and have really tried to be more i guess zen about or whatever you want to call it talk to me in two months i'm sure i will be afraid beyond belief and just want to take a nap for a week but <laughs> you know that's that's what resets are for if you can find the time to figure out how to take care of yourself i think that's all you can really hope for and then maybe once you can take care of yourself you can start to take care of others too
Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Screen Therapy. I thought I'd tell you a little bit more about myself. I was born in Powell River, a small coastal town in British Columbia, Canada. I spent more than 20 years in the media industry, managing newspapers and writing and editing for magazines and online publications. After my mental breakdown in 2018, I had to take a break because everything seemed impossible. I needed to focus on my recovery. I did my best to take care of my mental health while dealing with the intense mood episodes of bipolar. I was trying to help other people as well through support groups and also doing some health coaching. I'm doing everything I can and I've been getting back to the kind of work that I love. This podcast has been a big part of that. After some serious soul searching, I decided to go back to school at the age of 47. I'm doing a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Nonfiction at the University of King's College that will allow me to work from home. In two years, I should have a book written. And surprise, it's also called Scream Therapy. And surprise again, it's about the link between punk rock and mental health. I'm excited about it, but I want to be sure that I pay close attention to my symptoms and stay as healthy as I can. One of the most important things about mental health is staying positive. It's been really hard for me to be stable. I feel like I've been getting a little bit better every day. I'm really glad that this podcast has been a big part of my recovery, and I thank you for listening. You can connect with me at soundcloud.com slash screamtherapy. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, take care and be well. Thank you.